The SaaS Universe podcast is brought to you by Efficient Capital Labs. Realize your future revenue today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the SaaS Universe podcast. Today, Joseph Abraham, founder and CEO of Startup Atom, has a virtual sit-down with Melissa Kwan, the co-founder and CEO of eWebinar. Hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to yet another episode, and I'm joined by... Melissa Kwan, and she's the co-founder and CEO of eWebinar. Uh, interesting because, um, I mean, uh, we were just chatting before and I was just telling Melissa about where I met her first. I, I actually like saw a post on Facebook and I was just wondering about a product and I like pinged her and I got a very graceful response and I was intrigued by her product when checked it out and, and it's, it's, it's a great product and I believe you should go and check it out. So eWebinar saves people from doing the same, you know, automated tasks that a webinar does over and over again. And uh, the use cases are brilliant. I mean, you could use it for your sales, customer success and, and marketing use cases. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be like uh, an easy way for you to like manage your life, especially like if you are an early stage founder and if you you know, want to like ensure that you have some time and space for yourself, you want to go and check this out. So, um, you know, quickly, Melissa has been uh, not a, f- she's not a first founder. She's, you know, she founded Spacio before and ran it for five years and it was acquired in 2019. And um, interesting that she started eWebinar. So, um, Welcome to the show, uh, Melissa. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we are like extremely like delighted to have you on our show. Thanks for having me. Right. So uh, that was a standard introduction. So uh, in your own words, if you can explain very quickly, like what does eWebinar do and who is it for and what's the main problem it really solves? I know I have given some kind of pointers there, but I mean, Nothing like it coming from the founder. <laughs> well, you're doing such a great job. I don't want to interrupt you. <laughs> right. Yeah, so eWebinar um, solves the problem of giving the same presentation over and over again. So what it is, mm-hmm. it's an automated webinar solution. We combine a pre-recorded video with live chat and real-time interactions to deliver an engaging experience for attendees without you needing to be there. So um, at the core, what we do is we take any video and turn it Mm -hmm. into an interactive automated webinar where we have the most success is with customer success teams that are always doing demos for onboarding and training um, for sales and marketing teams that are using eWebinar as a top of the funnel lead gen product. um, And also some Mm -hmm. recruiting teams as well that are using eWebinar to promote their company and do... um, company orientation. So anytime uh, anyone has to do the same presentation over and over again, um, that's really where we have the most impact. And you mentioned in your introduction that if you're an early founder, um, this is something you should check out. eWebinar actually has the most impact with the smallest teams. So I actually live the problem myself of of being in a very small team and being everything except for code. So I personally live the pain of doing all of the sales, marketing, and customer success webinars um, that really mm-hmm. would just take up my whole schedule. So would highly encourage if you're an early stage founder, um, early stage company to check us out. Awesome. So, I mean, we have this ritual of asking, um, you know, what's a favorite quote of yours that, that really drives you? I mean, that you really feel that gives you a sense of purpose and motivation? 
Yeah, I don't remember the exact <laughs> quote, word for word. Um, there's actually two. One is um, from my favorite author, uh, Paulo Coelho, from the book The Alchemist. Um, right. I think in that, it was more of a conversation. I think um, somebody was asking, you know, what what is the world's greatest lie? And it is at any point in time that you believe that you have no control and that your life is controlled by fate. Um, I think that's something that, that drives me a lot. Um, and then the second is don't marry your idea. And mm. these are two things that I live by. Nice. I mean, I mean I'm reminded of my college days and, and the book that I purchased that time. And, and I mean, thanks for like reminding me uh, about, I mean, this book, I mean, it's a great book. So, um, being intentional and being, uh, you know, ensuring that, you know, I mean, you don't get married to your idea. I mean, fantastic, uh, you know, lessons to learn. So very quickly to just, uh, switch gears here. Uh, I mean, we spoke about e-webinar, but you ran a, a I mean, a, a SaaS company before, right. And, uh, and so what's been your journey as an entrepreneur and, and what's been your greatest high moment and, and, uh, one of the challenging moments, if you could share, I mean, and juxtapose it and, and share it with us, like, how did you manage and what did you do there? Yeah, so I actually had a company that I don't talk about a lot before Spacio. So mm. oh, okay. um, I had a, I was always in real estate tech. Uh, Spacio was a real estate technology mm -hmm. company as well. And the company I had before Spacio, I ran for four years. It wasn't a SaaS company. Um, we started it as a product company, but it turned into an agency because we said yes to a lot of things. So in that company, we built mobile apps for uh, new development marketing. So instead of you know walking into a sales center and getting a paper brochure, we were the iPad interactive brochure and sales tool. And back then, the iPad was new. Um, so while it was nifty and bleeding edge, it was actually quite a hard sell. Um, mm -hmm. and while we wanted to sell, you know, one product that people, you know, can, can customize the content out of, everyone just wanted a custom app for the building that they were selling. So I ran that for four years. It was okay. We didn't make a ton of money, but we didn't lose money. And that was largely self-funded. But mm -hmm. during that company, um, I remembered thinking to myself, we have to build something that we can offer everybody instead of building one-offs for 20 people. So mm -hmm. that company actually morphed into Spacio. And what happened was I had a friend that once told me, you should get a loan when you're qualified to do it, not when you actually need to. So mm -hmm. I remember at the peak of our success, I guess, for the first company, um, I took a loan against the revenue that we had in the bank and mm -hmm. all the revenue that we had and I invested it into Spacio. So for a long time, Spacio was self-funded. Um, mm -hmm. The biggest challenge I had was I've never built a SaaS company. Mm -hmm. So I've never built a product. I didn't know how hard getting to from zero to one would be. Like I didn't know how hard it would be to, to create something that someone would just put their credit card in and pay for. Mm -hmm. And that mm -hmm. journey, because I was so, so new to it, I think from the moment we incorporated Spacio to the first person putting in their credit card and, and paying us $10, I think that took over two years. 
So um, the hardest part was when we got there, I had spent most of our money already. And it was not just the company's money. It was also my personal money and whatever my parents had loaned me at the time. And there was only a few people on the team. I was never getting paid. So when I look back on those days, um, the uncertainty between thinking you're onto something because finally someone's willing to pay for what you've created and, mm-hmm. and not having not enough customers come on board so that you're constantly questioning whether you're delusional or not. Like that's really the right. hardest part. So that period was another probably a good year, year and a half before we kind of got out of that. But when I think about it like that, like not ever having any money to spend, like not knowing how you're ever going to pay your team and like dreading the 15th and the 30th every single month, you know, going to startup right. events for food, um, but mm. needing to keep going and, and constantly finding reasons to um, was definitely the hardest. And on the flip side, you had asked, you know, what are some of the highest moments that I've had? Right. I don't feel like I've had any of that yet, (laughs) (laughs) to be very honest with you. I think part of the demise of a founder is that your success is a moving target. Like, I still haven't seen success the way I want to yet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And yes, you know, Spacio was acquired. Um, It was a good sale. You know, all the investors were paid out and... My co-founder, and I, my co-founder and I both got, you know, really great exits and, and the company fi- found a really mm-hmm. good home, but it mm-hmm. wasn't the exit that, you know, TechCrunch writes about. Right. You know, got like I, I still had to immediately jump into something else. <laughs> and now I'm right back at where, you know, I'm right back at the hardest part of a startup again. <laughs> right. So Simon, the question that I have at the back of my mind is like, like what keeps you going and what's this driving force? Because um, there's something that, that drives every entrepreneur. And it's really interesting because uh, it's, it's really difficult to explain. I mean, the question that I'm asking you, but I'm still going to like attempt uh, you know, to ask you this, you know, so what keeps you going? Yeah, I think if I had to name one thing, I mean, that's, that's a big question. Um, but if I had to mm-hmm. name one thing, it's, it's freedom. Like freedom mm-hmm. is why eWebinar exists, right? Freedom is why I started every company because I thought, I, it's so ironic, right? Because you think, oh, I, I want to start a company and have freedom of my um, control of my schedule, control of, of my life and my business. <laughs> and then you realize shortly after that your whole company controls you. <laughs> you have no freedom. <laughs> like, in fact, you have no financial freedom, right? And most people don't. Um, but it's, it's the fight for it, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's it's the thing that drives you. It's, it doesn't have to necessarily be the thing that you get. Um, but I will say that after having sold one company, starting a new one is much easier. Um, and it's, it's much more, it's much more fulfilling because now you, you know, you have 10 years of experience and you know what to say no to and what to say yes to. Um, right. and it's much easier to, to start because you can put your own money into it without sacrificing, Absolutely. you know, a meal <laughs> yep. right? and, and you can raise money, um, yep. much easier because now people trust you. Absolutely. 
Awesome. So I think um, that really helps. I mean, the, the journey uh, truly helps in, in, in the personal validation aspect as well. You know, you understand um, what you want from life as well, right? So it's quite interesting. So uh, with regards to eWebinar, how did you get your first 10 customers? I mean, uh, were you intentional about using eWebinar itself to get them or how was it like? I'm just curious to know. <laughs> well, the other amazing thing about being a, a second time founder is you already have a set of customers that used to buy from you. <laughs> oh, true. Absolutely. <laughs> so the first thing that you do is you call all of your previous customers, anybody in your network. Mm -hmm. um, what I did mm -hmm. was, I mean, I've always been in sales, so this is easy for me. Um, so I basically went back to my network. I made a big list of all my previous customers that I, that I liked, that I wanted to, that I wanted to keep. The ones that mm -hmm. I didn't, I just left behind. <laughs> and mm -hmm. <laughs> anyone in my network, uh, my friends, you know, my other vendor friends that were in the same space, um, people I've told this to over, over the past few years, connectors of communities. Um, I, so I just made a big list in Excel and I mm -hmm. just went down the list one by one. And awesome. for the first 10 weeks, ironically, I was doing the same presentation over and over again. I was doing one-on-one -on -one demos okay. because that's what you have to do in the early days. Mm -hmm. You have to hear back from your early customers. You have to know True. how they're going to use it, what's wrong with it. You have to watch mm -hmm. them on board and see, did mm -hmm. you design the software in a way that people understand without you teaching them? Mm -hmm. So I watched mm -hmm. um, the first 40 people on board. Um, I said I was committed to onboarding the first hundred, but at about 40, I wasn't really learning anything new. Um, and mm -hmm. you know, the first 10 is easy, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's the first hundred. And then, cause sure. then you have to kind of go outside your network. And then after that, sure. it's, it's the first thousand. So, True. um, yeah, True. first 10 is, is not, is not that difficult. And I, and I would argue that if you're an early founder, if you can't mm -hmm. find your first mm -hmm. 10 customers from your immediate network that will, that are willing to pay for your product. I don't mean, you know, use a beta version, then mm -hmm. you have to mm -hmm. do something significantly different to your product. Totally agree. So, I mean, I see scores of founders who actually struggle. That's why I, I had this question about getting your first 10 customers, because, um, I think people feel it's, it's quite difficult because most of them don't come from sales backgrounds. They come from develop, they're developers, right? Yeah. Most of them. And then they basically like go ahead and have an, an, an idea and they want to build on it. So what's your advice to them on getting their first 10 customers? I mean, I do understand where, I mean, what you just said, but I mean, if you, if they would like really like have a simple way of getting the first 10 customers, what would that be? I probably can well, raise a bar higher and say first 50. Yeah. But, I mean, the early customers. I mean, I think you first have to understand that just because you build it, they're not going to come. So, right. so understanding that concept, I think is, is, um, the first step. Uh, number mm -hmm. two is if you don't have a sales co-founder or an early employee, mm -hmm. you have mm -hmm. to do whatever you can to learn how to sell. And while that I think sounds like a scary concept, like sales, mm -hmm sales like nobody is born knowing how to sell right like you you are taught you you learn how to sell selling mm -hmm. is a science like mm -hmm. you can learn how to do it it's the, it's the engineering of emotions right it's the engineering of of psychology so 
if you are a founder that loves solving problems, that loves taking risks, like you're already halfway there and you should do what you can to acquire the knowledge to at least learn how to craft a sales pitch. So I would recommend reading a book called the presentation secrets of Steve jobs. He didn't write it. Mm -hmm. um, Someone else wrote it, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's got a really interesting philosophy around how you craft your sales presentation because it's all about guiding someone to your desired outcome so how do you do that there is a way to do that so if you don't know how to do it naturally then follow a template until it becomes Mm -hmm. natural and i think you'll find that it's Mm -hmm. it's not so hard awesome so um I mean, talking about e-webinar and the, and what it solves. Uh, interestingly, it helps people save time. But I mean, I mean, I'm pretty sure you also seen founders, and I've seen uh, who struggle, you know, to delegate. Who struggle? They want to do everything and they want to control everything. And I think we started with the quote that that I think uh, like crushes what we just uh, what I just asked. But but why do I mean, founders really struggle? Um, wanting to do everything on their own and control everything, especially in the early stage, rather than delegating and using tools. Sir, what was your question again? So, like, I mean, why, the question why, is more like, about, why do they do why, that? Yeah, oh, okay. why do they do that and how can they like get away from it? I mean, what's the easy, easy way out? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think what makes you a founder, uh, a big part of what makes you a founder, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is your ego, right? Like, mm-hmm there's something you have to prove. You want to create something in the world that's yours. And mm-hmm. that ego also means that you're really the best at what you do, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're right. the best at what you do and you want to do everything as close to perfect as possible, why would you let someone else do it? I mean, I yeah, think that's absolutely. my, I think that's, that's my <laughs> philosophy and I'm, I'm a victim of that. Right. Like I always think I'm yep. the best. <laughs> like my pitch yep. is the best. My presentation is the best. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's interesting, right? Because as a founder, you almost need some of that naivety. Mm-hmm. Like you mm-hmm. need some of that delusion, right? Like you need, mm-hmm. you need enough delusion to seem like you're confident so that people buy into what you're selling. Like it's, it's just such a balance right. between all those, all these things. So you almost need to think that you are the best at doing this thing. Um, but I think it's also like, I think it's also like being aware of what you're not good at. Like it's okay to be good at five things if you're aware Mm -hmm. that you're not good Mm -hmm. at the other five things. And Mm -hmm. being aware of that allows you to delegate the things you're not good at. I would say if you think you're the best at doing whatever you think you're doing, you should keep doing those, but you can't be the best at everything. So let your developer do what he's supposed to do and let your CTO do what he's supposed to do. Um, and if you're in sales, like don't try to tell them what to do and, and vice <laughs> right. versa. Right. Like I think, I think a, a big part of why my co-founder and I in the previous company and this company gets along is because we just don't get into each other's way. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't tell me mm-hmm. how to sell and, and I don't tell him how to code cause we can't. Right. Um, right. And you know, knowing where your domain is, is, and, and just focusing on that is, is, is a great way to figure out what you should delegate. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I mean, this whole conversation is like, 
quite reflective. I'm just thinking about me and my team and the construct right now. So, yep. I mean, there are a lot of times even I, I'm guilty of it, but I mean, I never thought of it from the ego point of view, but I think, yep, you're right. <laughs> I mean, it does get in the way because you really feel you're good at what you do. Yeah. I mean, a beautiful way of actually like, uh, helping me reflect. Yep. <laughs> so in terms of, um, webinars, right. Um, I mean, the use case of webinar has always been, you know, in terms of, um, the early, early stage of the funnel, but how can webinars be used for, for retention as a use case, specific use case? Um, I mean, you could use it for sales, but how do you use it for retention? Yeah, I would say that webinars are, probably more used for customer success than they are for mm -hmm. sales. I think the ones that you see advertised are for sales, mm -hmm. but there's a lot True. of webinars that happen internally and internally also meeting your customer base that don't True. get advertised. Right? So if you think about like any SaaS company, all of your revenue is dependent on how happy the customer is True. and how happy the customer is assuming you're selling to the enterprise. Um, is how many of their customers or their team members use your product. So your whole revenue model is based on the happiness of the customer, which is based on the adoption of your software. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have proper onboarding customer education and ongoing customer education as you release new features, mm -hmm. then your usage is going to drop off and you're going to experience churn because your customers are no longer happy with the adoption. So webinars, like people that use webinars are always using them for onboarding, uh, for mm -hmm. training on, you know, customer education. So why should I use this product? But also the release of new features and training on those. So at any given time, your customers are at different life cycles. So at any given time, mm -hmm. you should be onboarding new customers training on customer education, and then training on your, your new features. So you can imagine, like if you had even a thousand customers, let alone like if, if you had 10,000, how mm -hmm. are you going to train all those people? Are you going to force them to one live training a month? Or are you right. going to have a rotating training that happens every second day that people can join at their own time? So I mm -hmm. think previous to webinar automation, like that's what webinars were used for is it's the only way to get from one person to many people anywhere in the world to deliver a message of any kind, right? So I, I actually don't know how people used to do it like before. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was before my time, mm -hmm. right? Like before the go-to meetings right. or, or whatever the, the first one was. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But now, like especially in 2020, like everyone is thinking about remote teams and how mm -hmm. to outsource and, you know, how to be more efficient in, in running, running their company from a distance. So I think, I think we're going to see a lot more different use cases for webinars um, this year than we ever have before. Absolutely. I think, I mean, no denial on that. So I, I do see use cases, I mean, as you said, uh, from onboarding videos, even for your recruitment cycles to training your employees, global employees, you know, remote employees as well. So, I mean, it's quite interesting, the use cases. Yep. And so what are the numbers right now in terms of e-webinars? So uh, how many customers do you serve and what's the average contract value like? Uh, yeah, so you? we don't have a lot right now. We're 
we've only been live for four months. Um, we've been building the product for um, close to two years now. Um, mm-hmm. So our conversion rate from trials to paid is is strangely high. It's at 89%. Um, wow. we have just over 60 customers right now They're, They range from a single person consultant or an online educator, um, to a publicly traded company. So anything, anything in between. Um, mm-hmm. and we are just over $5,000 a month, uh, right now. Our average contract value is just under $90. Um, mm-hmm. but we're really just getting started on that. So in the past few months, we've had a close to 20% growth rate every month, but we'll see. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So, um, how close are you to your product market fit and what are the factors you're measuring, uh, in terms of metrics and also like if you advise, uh, early stage founders, what would, what would your advice be in terms of like product market fit? And then the metrics that they need to be measuring against uh, a benchmark. Yeah. So the the question of product market fit is interesting, right? Because mm-hmm. we didn't invent automated webinars. Many right. people were using other solutions that are worse than us before we came along. Mm-hmm. You know, like, True. like Word was not, you know, the first, um, you know, word processor, for example, like, you don't have to be the, in fact, I actually think it's better for you not mm-hmm. to be a first mover. Like unless you have significant confidence and funding to be a first mover mm-hmm. in anything, like you mm-hmm. shouldn't be doing that. Like a lot of people, like when you tell your, especially as, as in your, in the early journey, if you tell somebody your idea, they're very quick to say, Joseph, someone's doing yep. that. Yeah. And who cares? True. Right. Like, don't let that discourage you. The fact that someone is yep. doing it and the fact that you're improving it is a good thing. Someone else has educated the market for you. You don't have enough funding to educate a new set of customers. So yep. do we have product market fit? Well, someone else already found it. I don't need mm-hmm. I don't need to demonstrate that this product has value. I know that it has value. I just need mm-hmm. to figure out how big my own market is. And so the numbers that we look at, because we're not venture backed. So uh, my co-founder and I both invested in the company. We have some private investors who are all our friends. Um, Mm -hmm. We're not sure if we're going to raise venture funding or not. Probably not. Um, It's, it's not, Mm -hmm. this is not the type of company that it is. Um, Mm -hmm. And the, the metric I'm looking at is, is the break even, right? Like, based on the, the, the people who have to get paid, like none of the founders or the stakeholders are getting paid right now. Um, with the Mm -hmm. expectation that, that we will in the future, but there are still people who have to get paid. So the only number I'm looking at is how many subscriptions do we need to cover the people Mm -hmm. who must get paid? And I guess my advice for other founders, um, and product market fit is, you need to ask yourself if no one is doing what you're doing, mm-hmm. why not? That's the question that a lot of people do not ask. They think, oh, no one's doing it. I have blue ocean. Mm. This is great. 
if no one is doing what you're doing, it's a bad thing. So you should figure out why that is, because I'm sure if you start digging deeper, you're going to start poking holes into your own model. And if you ask yourself that question and after some research, you still feel like you have a compelling solution, then you should go ahead and do it. But I don't think you should ever take, you know, I'm the first one as a good sign. Um, so that's, that's my biggest advice. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, with, with, you know, what metric they should be looking at, I think it just really depends on the business and, and what the goal sure. is, right? Like, are you sure. trained to, are, are you trying to raise venture capital? Are you a consumer product or are you an enterprise product? Like, are you a SaaS product? Sure. Like all of those metrics sure. are different. Um, but definitely like we live in a world full of data right now. So go on AngelList or go on Crunchbase, reach out to the companies in your space. And depending on what your goal is, ask companies who've been in your shoes before the metrics that you should be looking at. And if you're like me that don't care about anything else, but not burning more money than, than you're earning, then the only right. metric you should look at is revenue. Absolutely. Does make sense. I think uh, I loved your whole, um, you know, um, perspective on category because I think there's this whole zero category fever that everyone's like, um, you know, affected by these days, and they want to like pioneer and and create a category from de for themselves. I think um, I I hear a lot of them talking about it, and and I think it's it's beautiful what you just said. I mean, uh, I mean, go and think. I mean, it's good to have that audacity to go and. <laughs> challenge and and pioneer but i think that's that's not enough you know so yep i mean so true so quickly uh melissa what's your most significant learning in this phase of your journey like um it's it's been an interesting journey for you so what's the biggest learning for you at this point of time uh, my biggest learning is when you start a company you need to ask yourself before anything else, what kind of life do you want to lead? Like, mm -hmm. because your company will become your everything. Like it will dictate your whole life, your schedule, your friends, you know, where you, how you feel in the morning. And mm -hmm. if your company doesn't support the life that you want to live, then mm -hmm. it's going to be a very hard journey. And it could be something as simple as, you know, I want to live in Thailand and, and have a remote, have a remote team. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You should then not start a company that requires for you to be in San Francisco. Like you should, okay. you should go there now and figure out mm -hmm. the company and the idea that supports that. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing I didn't do um, in my first two companies. So for almost 10 years, I feel like there was always something missing. Um, and even though I had some successes, I was unable to really feel my successes because there was always something missing in my life. Like I wasn't really happy with my environments. Like I, I didn't have a product that really served the life that I wanted to live. And, and I didn't have a product that had a mission that aligned with my values. So this time around, I started with that. And then I came up with a bunch of ideas and, and validated them against my life, not the other way around. I mean, 
I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you that you've got to go write a book, you know, because this is brilliant what you just shared about, you know, mission and values. And, and I think, I think it's, it's very interesting, right? I mean, build your whole life around your lifestyle and, and you're going to be like pretty much satisfied with your life. I mean, the freedom and, and the flourishing aspect of life actually, you know, would, would marry each other off. And I think it's, it's so true. I mean, what you just said, I mean, such a deep thought. Uh, so I'm just going to end with this one last question, which is, um, what advice would you give to 20 year old Melissa? It's yet another reflective question. <laughs> I think I would give myself the, the biggest learning I just told you, because <laughs> that would save me 10 yeah. years of figuring out why I was always mildly unhappy. <laughs> uh. <laughs> like, I think when you're, when you're young, right? Like you, mm-hmm. like you just want to learn and you just want to meet people and, go into jobs that, that help you learn more. Like you never think that you have a choice, but you always have a choice. And even if that's the wrong choice, right? That's the choice that you want at that moment. And the great thing about choices is you can make them again and again and again. So, you know, how you want to lead your life today is not how you want to lead your life in two years or in four years. But the great thing is once you make designing your life a goal, it allows mm-hmm. you to do two really important things. The first is to say yes to all the things that take you closer. And the second is to say no to all the things that don't. But if you don't have that goal, then you're just doing whatever comes your way. And True. like it's, it's, um, it's fine, but it's not very fulfilling. Absolutely. So I, I do see a full full circle here with the quote that we started about not having control and that's the biggest lie you believe in. And then, you know, say yes to things that really matter, no to things that really don't matter. I think it's brilliant. I mean, there's a lot of learning that I was able to like, like I, I've taken some bunch of notes, like f- running four pages here. So interesting. I mean, um, I, I hope all of you who have been listening, uh, got, uh, 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 you know, something that you would actually go and apply back to your life. And, and it's been a pleasure hosting you, uh, Melissa. So thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Great. So absolutely. And again, for all our listeners, I mean, go check e-webinar. I mean, I'm pretty sure that you'd like it. So thanks, Melissa. And we'll catch all of you again in yet another episode. That's all for today, folks. Thank you for tuning into the SaaS Universe podcast. And remember... If you're looking for non-dilutive capital to help grow your business, Efficient Capital Labs is here to help. With their unique approach, you can receive up to 75% of your projected revenue as upfront capital and all within just three days. So don't wait. Head to www.ecaplabs.com to learn more and get started today. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time on the show.